0: Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for July 23rd, 2023 is called Exodus for the Rest of Us, Using Our Imagination and Leaving Fear Behind. The teacher is Jennifer Acuff and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Microphones were not designed for women, so if I don't have a belt loop, I can't wear it. (laughs) Shocking. All right. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) I've been out of town quite a bit lately, so it's really, really nice to be here for a couple of weeks. Um, So fear makes me think endlessly about what-ifs drives me to either paranoia or hope but it really depends on my past experiences and what I feel comfortable trusting when I am placed in an uncomfortable situation I feel the fear creep in and I usually choose the route that is most familiar or with the outcomes that I could at least somewhat predict or control better the devil you know right So experiencing and processing both physical and emotional fear is really complex, and it's one on which we typically don't like to dwell. So we're going to spend like 20 minutes on it this morning. (laughs) So our initial reactions to fear might be categorized as fight, flight, or my personal favorite, fetal. Um, But thankfully, it doesn't have to stop there. So what if we learn instead to use our imagination to take what our minds and bodies are telling us about a particular fear that we're experiencing and dream up the possibilities of what could happen when we instead fear God? So uh, the title of this series is called Exodus for the Rest of Us, which is just hilarious in and of itself, right? We did that because our teaching team is silly. So if you don't know the Seinfeld joke I'm referring to, (laughs) please go find Festivus for the Rest of Us. But um, that came from the fact that, you know, we're reading Exodus, we're going through it, we're trying to relate to it, but also recognizing that we are not the Israelites in most of the stories, right? So what do we do with Exodus when we're not necessarily the Israelites? But then the second favorite title, which John was a big proponent of, was about imagination, using our imagination as we think through Exodus, so today we're going to do both. <laughs> so our text this morning is Exodus twenty twenty, And this verse comes on the coattails of the Ten Commandments, an incredible display of power from God in the form of lightning and thunder, so much so that the people were like, that's not for me. Moses is going to have to be between us and God. I can't do it. This is too much. Right. And Moses' response to that was our verse for this morning. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, so that you do not sin. Okay, so to understand this verse, it feels like we kind of have to define fear, right? That seems like kind of the point of the verse, right? It comes up twice. So that in and of itself is a little bit confusing. It feels like when you're trying to define a word, but you use the word in the definition, you end up like going in circles. So we're going to do that a little bit today but we're gonna try to tease it out, okay? So fear can be a lot of things, okay? It could be alarm, concern, anxiety, paranoia. Scientists have spent a lot of time studying our biological, physiological, and neurological response to fear. Um, And they've done a really good job, right? And we've figured out that there are some very specific responses that everybody experiences when we enter a position of fear. So let's try something this morning that the teaching team did two weeks ago when we talked about this. Um, if you would just close your eyes, 30 seconds or so, and think about something that you fear. What comes to mind when you think of being fearful? It might be one thing. might be many things. If you're me, it's a domino effect of one thing after another. right? So if you're also like me, your Apple Watch just sent you a warning that says you should take a breath, right? (laughs) Your blood pressure is increasing when you think about that. Okay. So the teaching team listed a number of things. They included fire, snakes, conflict, hospitals, abandonment, chronic illness in which you lose mental cognizance or physical control. Thank you, John, for unlocking that new level of fear for me. <laughs> so what are we missing from that list? Anything anyone wants to throw out? It's not mandatory. List that your was, D. That was potentially going to be the question for this morning. was like, what's your biggest fear? <laughs> Probably wouldn't have gotten people going. Okay, There's some things you could add to that, right? And so we actually talked a little bit about healthy fear in the teaching team meeting after that. And Shannon really wisely noted that sometimes our bodies are having specific reactions That are telling us something is wrong uh something is coming up you need to deal with um right so it's it's a good tap on the shoulder and this is incredibly true right the scientists have proved this okay um but i'm going to actually pull us away from the terminology of healthy fear this morning because that implies that there's an unhealthy fear and i'm not sure that that's true okay i'm not sure that there is such a thing as healthy or unhealthy fear i think there's just fear And then it's our response that can make it unhealthy or healthy, right? So my point today is what do we do with that? The fear is going to come up. Our bodies are designed to respond to that. God made our bodies to experience fear. So that's not the point to avoid it. Okay? it's what we do with it. So fear is one of the biggest drivers for every action in our day-to-day lives. Um, So if you go home, don't do it right now because you'll just be distracted. But... Think through when you go home how many things you did today that were driven by fear, fear of some kind of consequence, putting on your seatbelt so that you don't get ejected through the windshield, fear of, you know, setting four alarms because you don't want to be late this morning, Um, fear of doing, you know, making sure you're doing something so that another consequence doesn't happen, right? We're a cause-effect society all the time. Everything we do is to prevent something else from happening usually, okay? Um, And so we use our imaginations to spiral into a series of what-ifs, right? Or maybe we use our imaginations to spiral us into courageous hope. So we're going to think of fear like an emotional launch pad. I'm going to use myself and this story of the Israelites as an example this morning. So one of my greatest fears in life is the fear of failure. That is pinnacle, me. do not want to fail, right? Um, I don't want anyone to see my incompetence. I don't want to disappoint myself or other people. I don't want to be criticized. I don't want the associated pain of doing something poorly and then um, having to accept shortcomings or perhaps the circumstances to learn and try again, right? Um, I fear all of this so much sometimes that I end up just like not doing anything. That's the fetal part, right? (laughs) The fear sets in that I don't even try. Does anybody relate to that? Is that just me? Okay. (laughs) Great. All right. Um, So I just avoid that hard thing entirely. I pretend I can't improve a relationship. I act like I don't have the time or the resources to learn something or better my attitude. I make as many excuses as I need to to avoid facing a particular fear of whatever failure this could be head on. And so all of my actions surrounding that are going to be fear driven. But they're not at all productive. They're certainly not healthy because they're focusing on external issues rather than internal ones. So one of my favorite authors and teachers, Richard Rohr, says, fear unites the disparate parts of our false selves very quickly. The ego moves forward by contraction, self-protection, and refusal by saying no. Contraction gives us focus, purpose, direction, superiority, and a strange kind of security. It takes our aimless anxiety, covers it up, and tries to turn it into purposefulness and urgency, which results in a kind of drivenness. But this drive is not peaceful or happy. It is filled with fear and locates all its problems as out there and never in here. So what do we mean by internal or external problems and how that relates to our discussion about fear? So we're going to have to use our imagination a little bit. That's where the imagination comes in this morning. So through therapy, I've learned a lot about myself. If you haven't tried it, I recommend, all right? One of the things I've learned is that I have these disparate parts, like Richard Rohr describes. I have one in particular that's a little me, about eight years old. Very small, very sweet, a little sassy. Um, But she's terrified of failure. That is her thing. She is terrified of failure. So at some point at that age, I experienced pain or shame in such a way that caused me to want to avoid failure from then on. And so all of these other disparate parts inside of me do everything to protect her. She's just a little girl. The problem is these disparate parts sometimes push me into actions or thoughts that are not actually helpful. They might seemingly protect her, but they don't actually deal with what her greater need is. Okay? So uh, that might manifest in the form of trying to take control of everything and everyone around me so that she's protected, even things that are out of my control, okay? Or it might mean that I lash out at my spouse to spotlight his failure rather than her failure. Or uh, it might create a narrative of blame and shame on anyone else so that my part doesn't feel the hurt of failure. So the problem with this is that they're not always... Um, ways to address the actual failure, okay? So these are bad choices, and in some ways they can lead to very sinful thoughts and actions. And then my disparate parts get further and further and further from what's actually wholesome and life-giving and unifying. So I'm going to give you a real-life example of this that seems really silly and really simple, but actually depicts it very well. So I was out of town last week, and I come back, and um, my husband picks me up from the airport, very sweet uh he tells me that he did some of the laundry for me that's kind of my thing so I do the laundry and he's already (laughs) he's already embarrassed because I didn't tell him I was going to talk about this it's it's not you that's the problem it's me um so (laughs) don't worry but uh he noticed that there was a particular bin of laundry that was full he thought she's been out of town for a week gonna do this load so she doesn't come home to a full bin of laundry how sweet um the thing is, he didn't finish it. And so when I did start doing the laundry, I needed to move things from you know washer to dryer, dryer to out, right? And I find that there's this load, this unfinished gift of love, right? That I am now deciding I'm mad about. The problem is, the reason I couldn't do something with that unfinished gift of love is because I had left something in the dryer before I left. And so that thing had come out and went into what I consider to be no man's land. Because laundry is my thing and I have names for everything. But it went into the position, the placement of, we're not sure if this is clean or dirty. And I'm pretty sure it's clean because I'm pretty sure I did it and then I left it in the dryer before I went out town for a week. But I don't want to talk about that. Instead, I want to talk about the unfinished gift of love. And this load that I know how to do something with. And it just spiraled. Right? <laughs> Ugly things were said over... An unfinished gift of love, <laughs> right? So whose fault is that? Well, you know, whatever. Maybe everybody's, maybe nobody's. Definitely not his, because he was really just trying to be nice, right? But that's that's what happens, right? Remember, my fear of failure is eight years old. Eight years, eight-year-olds are not known for their great judgment or ability to rationalize through actions, right? But that's where I live. And that's where all of my fear of failure comes from. And so then everything else is going to do everything to protect her, even if it means hurting somebody else. Okay? So you can fill in the blank on whatever your fear is. I guarantee you it's driving you into unhealthy actions, unless you recognize what it is. Even when you do recognize what it is, sometimes it drives you into unhealthy actions, right? So what is this fear driving you to do? Is it driving you further from relationship? Is it keeping you... From doing the right thing at work or at home? Is it pushing you away from recognizing the humanity of people around you who are less fortunate? Is it causing harm or preventing others from being rightfully named a child of God? A lot of times I think fear drives us into either exclusion or love, but it's not both. Exclusion of ourselves from a situation because we don't want to be a part of it. Exclusion of others because we don't want them to be welcomed. Exclusion of God because we don't want God to be a part of our mess. Or it can cause us to love ourselves, others, and God. But it can rarely do both. So I think that's what we're seeing in Exodus 20, the Israelite sphere of failure. So um, Brueggemann talks about a really intriguing idea in his book, Covenant, Pivotal Moments in the Book of Exodus. So this is what the teaching team is using as we kind of go through Exodus. So Brueggemann explains that the fear of the Israelites Very reasonable, right? We know this, okay? There's massive thunderstorm, lightning display of power, totally reasonable fear. And there's a lot of other things going on as well, okay? So the fear of the Israelites might be because they worry Pharaoh will come back. Reasonable, right? He's pretty mad. They also worry that they might die in the wilderness. Also true. They couldn't take much, okay? Uh, Or maybe they don't know what to expect on this journey. They're scared of that. Okay, those are all very reasonable. But it might be that they just heard the Ten Commandments, saw the power behind the being requesting this of them, and are terrified of failure. And that's why they told Moses, you're going to be between us and God. Can't. The expectations are a little too high. You guys ever have a sibling who you ask to deliver bad news to your parents about your poor, (laughs) poor choices? They're like, you tell mom and dad, I'm going to try to sort it out, but you take the heat because, like, it's not your choice. You're not really going to get blamed. Did anybody ever do that? I for sure did, right? My sister and I would tag team that, okay? Is that not what the Israelites are doing here to some extent? Okay, so let's look at that verse. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you so that you do not sin. I don't think Moses is saying, don't be afraid he wanted to say that, I think he would have. right? The problem is not that they are afraid in this moment. What he's saying is don't give into the fear that they're experiencing and just immediately reacting to in the form of separating themselves from God. The fear that he's talking about is this hesitation to approach the unknown, approach the potential fear of disappointing God when we inevitably mess up, and the tendency toward going to the suffering that we think we could accept, right? We see that a lot in the Israelites' journey. It's like, they'll think about like, well, at least we knew what to expect in Egypt. And we think about that and we're like, that's insane, right? They had the worst lives possible and somehow they still wish they could go back. And we scoff at that, we're really condescending, but I do that all the time. I choose suffering because I would rather deal with that because I know what to expect than to embark on something bigger and harder but that might have a different consequence, right? Because I know God is going to show up there. So God's testing them, right? Putting choices in front of the Israelites. That's actually the clearest part of this verse. So that they don't sin, right? I think that's a failure to love God and others in a way that separates us from God, right? God's 10 commandments were basically about how you treat each other and how you treat him and they said it's too much. So they separated themselves from God. It is a tall order, right? Soon commandments are not simple. So now let's reread the verse. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, so that you do not sin. And now, given what we've just analyzed, and what I've defined in the style of a mathematical proof, <laughs> let's try reading the new rendition. Choosing awe, respect, and trust of God over hesitation and familiar suffering allows us to remain in the presence of God. You can write your own rendition of it. That's mine. So the profound author Cole Arthur Riley says, In the face of terror, God doesn't bid us toward courage as we might perceive it. Instead, he draws us toward toward fear's essential sister, rest. A sister who is not meant to replace fear, but to exist together in tension and harmony with it. It's lovely. Riley continues fear has the holy potential to draw out awe in us, to lead us into deeper patterns of protection and trust, to mold us into people engaged in the unknown, capable of making mystery of it instead of terror. So, what's the proper response for fear of God? we can lean into God's control of all things, which is way easier said than done, right? The thing is, leaning into it doesn't guarantee that you see the result, that you understand the result, or that you're satisfied with the result, but it does push us into the perfect love that 1 John talks about as casting out fear, okay? And it's a little bit confusing, Right? We have to lean into love so that we can access, we have to lean into fear so we can access love, and that dries out fear, but it's a cycle, right? And I can't really make sense of that part. I really, it's too cyclical. The only thing I can think of is Christ hanging on the cross, being pulled in different directions, and still being in the tension of both. And that is just the best I can do with that. (laughs) Processing our fear is not necessarily going to lead to peace. Laura pointed out that the more she grows her family and adds these little loves, the more fear she experiences as well, right? It's not going to bring us peace. But maybe as John mentioned in our meeting, that it drives us into the practice of a deeper love, okay? Pushes us to love. So I think we can bring the worship team back up whenever you guys are ready. So we're going to take communion here in a minute. Has anybody ever let fear prevent them from coming to the table? Yeah. Maybe guilt, fear of disappointment, fear of what it could mean to believe that you might be worthy and what that would mean. Regardless of what you believe right now, this morning, I can tell you that you are worthy. God welcomes you to enter her presence, come to the table and be fed. And when we come to this table, we remember that we all have needs. We all have something to give. And we consider, we ask you to come to this community knowing that the fear is okay. And we're here walking together to process it and practice it to push us into love. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.